Hey, thanks, Elise, for reading that. Uh, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here and excited to teach from this text today. If you didn't notice the theme of the passage that Elise was reading, it is definitely about evangelism. Eight different times in this text, this act of evangelism, of sharing your faith, of proclaiming the message of the gospel comes up at least eight different times. Uh, five different times in this text, the Greek word euangelizo, which is where we get uh, evangelism, uh, evangelist, uh, evangelical, all those E words, right? Uh, that's, that's where we get that word from. At least five times that comes up in the text. In fact, one scholar said there's three different words in the New Testament that are used for evangelism. All three of those words are used in this passage. Uh, The main character of the passage is a guy named Philip, who later on in Acts is referred to as Philip the Evangelist. He has this title of the Evangelist. Uh, All through this text, evangelism is the key theme of this text, all right? Here's what it says. Uh, Here's the message translation of verse number four, Uh, Acts 8, 4. The followers of Jesus all became missionaries, every one of them. Every one of them became missionaries or evangelists. Wherever they scattered, they preached the message. They evangelized about Jesus. Now, I became a Christian when I was a teenager, and I was as lost as a ball in high weeds, all right? I became a Christian, and I, I don't know what your experience was like when you first became a Christian, if you're a Christian, but I wanted to tell everyone. And that's kind of what you get from the New Testament. When you read these stories of people converting to Christianity, immediately, they, who am I going to tell? And they start telling people uh, during the Gospels, they're bringing people to Jesus, and that's how I was. Uh, er- everywhere I went, I had these little Gospel pamphlets, like in my shirt pocket. I, I used to wear pockets like this, or in my pockets, in, in my jeans. Uh, we, we called them tracks. I don't know if they still call them that anymore, but I would, I would pass these things out everywhere I went. Uh, after school, I would have like basketball practice, and I, I wouldn't go straight home after basketball practice. I would, I would shower, I would put some new clothes on, and I would go drive to a random neighborhood and knock on doors. And if anybody was willing to talk to me, I would try to tell them about uh, the, the gospel. I would try to talk to them about Jesus. If, if we were in a store together and we made eye contact, that was my cue that you're okay talking to me. And I would try to share the gospel with people in stores and stuff, in Goodwill and Walmart, everywhere I went. I mean, I was just, I wanted to tell everybody about the gospel and about Jesus. I don't act like that anymore. And earlier this week, I was wondering, why do I not do that? I mean, wherever I do go, I, I do try to turn conversations into spiritual things if, you know, if, if the conversation lends it that way. Uh, if I'm at my kids' sports things, I try to talk to the other parents. If I'm at the gym every now and then, I'll try to talk to somebody when I'm doing the preacher curl. There we go. Uh, so, I, so, so I do try to, but, but I'm not as enthusiastic as I used to be, and so I've been racking my brain. Why, why am I not as evangelistic as I used to be? And I think there might be a couple reasons for that. Uh, for one, I was younger. I was about 16, 17 when, 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 when I first became a Christian. And so, you know, I was younger, maybe more bold or, you know, I, just youthful energy was coming out. Maybe that was the case. Maybe it's because I was raised in the South. I was raised in North Carolina. And in North Carolina, it's, it's perfectly normal to meet a total stranger and talk for like 30 minutes. Like that's not, that's not abnormal. I moved to Pennsylvania and it took like three years to get to know my neighbors. You know, I had a few neighbors that the garage door would come up, they would pull in, it would close, and a year would go by, and I would never see their face. I, maybe that's a Pennsylvania Southern thing. I don't know if that's a part, of the, uh, a part of the equation here. But I think one of the key reasons why I'm not as evangelistic as I used to be is because it was easier back then. I just think it was easier about 20 years ago to be an evangelist and to share the gospel. In fact, in today's world, uh, in, in, this, in this country, I, I almost feel like evangelism is like the E word, right? It's like the E word. You say just evangelism. 
it kind of leaves a bad aftertaste, right? Here, here, try it. Say evangelism. Ready? You taste that? <laughs> it just, all right, let's try proselytizing. Ready? No, I'm just kidding. We have kids present. We don't want to do that, right? The P word. I don't know. It just has a bad taste to it. Evangelism. Are we supposed to be doing this? Is this intolerant? Is this manipulative? Is this offensive? I don't know. Should, should we be doing this? And it is true that our, our culture, our society in America here is more pluralistic than it used to be. And so there's more religions out there. It used to be that the overwhelming majority of people were Christian. Or if they weren't, they, they were well aware of what Christians believe and maybe even felt that they should be but couldn't take that step. But, but, but things are different now. In fact, by the time my kids grow up and are my age, it's, it's somewhat likely that Christianity won't be the majority religion anymore. A survey just came out about that from Pew Research that showed uh, some trends that are coming up. Uh, I, I find myself feeling more, more awkward about evangelism. So just earlier this month, I had this Bible with me, and I went to Hershey Medical Center to visit somebody, doing a hospital visit. I like to read a passage, pray with them, and I felt really weird. I mean, I, I didn't carry it like this. I had it like this, but I, I felt weird carrying a Bible around. I don't know why I did. People, you, you've been to Hershey Med. There's hundreds, and man, this huge hospital. People are walking by me in the hall. They make eye contact with me, eye contact with the Bible, and quickly shoot their eyes up and walk forward. And I don't know, that maybe they were playing Mariah Carey in their head. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why. But I felt, I don't know, I felt out of place. Like, I, should I be carrying this thing around? I, and I don't, how often do you see a gray Bible? Maybe that was the case. I don't know. I felt weird about it. Every now and then I meet somebody new, and a common question is, hey, what do you do? What, you know, what, what, what do you do for work? And sometimes I catch myself being, feeling funny, saying I'm a pastor. So, I work at a church, but, but, but what do you do? You know, I, so why, why is that? Why, do I, why, do I, why, is the evan, why is evangelism like the E word? Why do I feel skittish about this? Why do I feel awkward about this? So just out of curiosity, do any of you feel this way? Am I the only one? Or are you guys like, no, I talk about this stuff all the time. I don't know, does, does anybody else? I see a couple of heads nodding. And in fact, I've talked to some of you, and you actually work at places where you've been told, don't talk about this. There's a handbook you sign the handbook and you, you're really not supposed to talk about this. If you want to go to supper after work with somebody after hours, you can, but, but not while you're here. Maybe you've been told by family members, hey, in, in this household, don't bring up religion. We, we don't talk about that here. Maybe, maybe you've been told that before. That's fine. Uh, maybe, maybe you're a college student and when you're on campus, uh, it's, it's kind of frowned upon that you talk about crew or navigators, you know, whatever your campus ministry is. Uh, maybe, there's, maybe there's a high schooler, and maybe there's some high schoolers in the room, and you've been told by uh, one of your teachers or the principal, hey, can you, can you cool it? <laughs> can, you, can you not talk about this uh, when, when you're in school? Uh, maybe, maybe you work at Hershey Med Center, and, and you're a doctor, you're a chaplain, you're a nurse, and you've kind of been told, can, can you not bring this up? I know people are struggling, and faith is important to you, but it's not for everybody. Can you just, can you just not bring this up? Yeah, maybe, maybe you have been in these conversations where you've kind of been told, you really shouldn't. You really shouldn't do this. So here's my question for today. Is it wrong to evangelize? Is it, is it a bad thing? Is it, is it unethical? Is it intolerant? Is it, is it offensive? Is it, is it wrong for us to do the work of evangelism? And, and here I'll go a step further because what I'm going to try to persuade you of is that it's not wrong. But let's, let's say it's a good thing to evangelize. Is it, like, is it required do we have to do this? <laughs> do I have to? I don't really like doing this. Do I have to do this? Can I leave that to other people? Tom's great at it. Can Tom do it? Right? He, he really is. Uh, do I have to? Is it, is it like a requirement that I do this? Or can I just sit this one out? So that's what I want to talk about today. And here's what I want to show you. The men and women of Acts chapter 8 that Elise just read about, they believed 
that evangelism was not optional. They believed that it was a moral obligation for Christians to evangelize and to share their faith. And if they are right, and I believe they are, if they were right, then that means it's true for us too. Evangelism is not optional. Christians have a moral obligation to share their faith, to share the gospel, and to evangelize. Not all of you are convinced. Sometimes, some days, I'm not convinced. So here, here's where we're going to go today. I have three questions that I want to go over today that came up from this text as I read it. The first one is this. Is it necessary to evangelize? I mean, we kind of live in the Bible Belt of Pennsylvania, right? I mean, everybody around here in, in Hershey, Hummelstown, Palmyra, maybe Harrisburg, I mean, everybody around here, has they, they know the name of Jesus. It's a common name. Uh, if they want to know more, there's churches all over the place. They, they know where to go. They know we meet on Sunday. They can come and ask, do we really need to be sharing this? <laughs> I mean, is, is it necessary? Here's a second question. Is it offensive to evangelize? Because some people would say it is. It's intolerant. It's coercive. It's manipulative. It's offensive. So some people would say that it is unethical to evangelize. Is it wrong to evangelize? We're going to look at that as we look at the story of Philip. And then hopefully I thoroughly convince you of the first two points, that it is our moral obligation to evangelize. Hopefully I'm convincing. If I am, I'm hoping you're left with asking the third question. How can I do this? How can I evangelize? Full disclosure, this is not a how-to sermon. It's a should-do sermon. So I'm not going to take a lot of time with that, but I do have a couple tips that I want to share with you. So that is where we are going today with today's text. Let's start with this first question. Is it necessary to evangelize? By the way, before we jump into that, let me just say this. Some of you are here at Hershey Free for the first time. Some of you are watching online. You're watching or worshiping with us for the first time, and you're thinking, what did I get into? <laughs> like, why, why am I here today? And I just want you to know, the friend or family member that invited you, they're thinking, what did I do? Why did I bring them on this day of all the days, right? So let me just, I just, if that's you, if this is your first time, if you're, if you're, if you're not a Christian, but you came because a friend invited you, whatever, I just want to put you at ease and I, w- I want you to be able to breathe. I'm, I'm not going to coerce you. I'm, I'm not going to be pushy with these things. I, I want you to feel like you're an observer and this is like a pastor's conference and you're just saying, here's what these people talk about. Okay. I w- I'm going to put you at ease. If you invited a friend and they came, I'm going to put you at ease, Right. If you're, if you're at home watching online and you brought a friend over to watch the service, you, you can be at ease. You can just observe. Here's what Christians talk about, <laughs> okay? So just, just view it that way. There's no pressure. I, I, I hope that, that you feel compelled uh, towards the love of Jesus, but I, I don't want you to feel pressure, okay? All right, so question number one. Is it necessary to evangelize? Well, the easy answer to that question is, Jesus told us to, right? I mean, it's called the Great Commission after he rose from the dead. Some of the first words out of his mouth. I want you to go. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Even earlier in Acts chapter 8, I'm sorry, Acts 1, verse 8, this, this is what Jesus said as well. He said, you will be my witnesses, Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem. I mean, the uttermost part of the world, I want you to be my witnesses and to spread this gospel everywhere. So the simple answer to that question is that Jesus told us to. He, he sent us out. We are a sent people. But here's the question I came to in this text, and we're going to read verses 4 and 5 in a second. Why Samaria? Why Samaria? Look at verses 4 and 5. Those who had been scattered, they're from the city of Jerusalem. They've preached the word. They evangelized wherever they went. And Philip, so the rest of the chapter really focuses on this guy named Philip. Philip went down to the city, to a city in Samaria, and proclaimed the Messiah there. He evangelized. So here's my question. Why Samaria? 
Samaria is a region that's maybe 40 miles away from Jerusalem. It's not all that far away. But here's the kicker. The people of Samaria believed almost the same exact things that the people that these Christians believed. Almost the same exact things. They had the same scripture that they read and followed. All right? They worshiped the same God. They had uh, nearly, they had very similar ethnicity. They were, they were considered half Jews. These people were very similar. Their belief system was very similar to that of Christianity. So, so, so why this need to proselytize, to, to, to evangelize to these people that believe almost identical to what we believe? Well, the kicker is the Samaritans were waiting. They, they, they believed from their scripture a Messiah was coming to forgive them of their sins and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And, and, and they were waiting for this, but they did not know that Jesus was that Messiah and so these early Christians, we, we have to tell them. And I think the same applies to us. You could argue, hey, we live in central Pennsylvania. There's churches everywhere. Christianity is the majority religion. If anybody wants to hear, they can come to us. Why do we need to go to them? It's because believing almost the same as we do is not the same as understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. And that if someone does not have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they desperately need the message of the gospel. Yes, it is absolutely necessary that we share our faith. Evangelism is not optional. Christians have a moral obligation to evangelize. By the way, I want to pause for a minute and just define the gospel because sometimes in church world we talk about gospel a lot, but we don't always have time to unpack it because we talk about it like every single week. So, so what is the gospel? Here's kind of a working definition, okay? Uh, basically, the word gospel literally means good news. So it's the good news about Jesus, but here's specifically what that means. It's the good news that Jesus saves us from the penalty for our sin. You know, sin and, and wrongdoing deserves a consequence. He, he has paid the consequence, the penalty for our sin. And he will someday save us from the presence, from the dominion of sin, from this, tendency, this sin nature that I have. He will someday deliver us from that. But, but not just us. He's restoring all of creation. God doesn't just destroy things and start over new. He's a God that restores things. He wants to restore us. He wants to restore the rest of creation. That's kind of a working example of the gospel. Now, sometimes we think of doing good works and we match that with evangelism, and that's very good. But until the gospel is presented, until your mouth is open, your pen is writing, your, your fingers are typing, your hands are signing, whatever, until the message of the gospel happens, technically evangelism has not happened. And we are called to be a people that evangelize, that share the gospel with those around us. Second Timothy 4, 5 reads this way. Do the work of an evangelist. So question number one, is it necessary for us to evangelize? I would argue absolutely it is. It is our moral obligation as Christians to evangelize. Evangelism is not optional if you're a Christian. That's question number one. Here's question number two. Is it offensive to evangelize? Is it offensive? Some would argue it is. Here's a, here's a, a, a message on a message board called belief.net from a few years ago. Someone wrote this, I have nothing against the Christian religion itself, but I'm tired of evangelical people going around the world forcing their religion on people. It's just not right. Why can't they keep their beliefs to themselves? Does he or she have a point? Should we keep this stuff to ourselves? I don't know. Here's another quote from someone named Brian Stone from Boston University. He wrote a book on pluralism, and here's what he says, Christian evangelism must ever remain uninterested in competing for space in the world, or triumphing over other faiths. So converting someone who's already happily engaged in another faith, it's, it, he, would, he would argue that we should be uninterested in converting people. Is he right? Is it intolerant for us to convert people of other religions? The Dalai Lama, this is what he said in 2001. 
Whether you're Hindu or Muslim or Christian, whoever tries to convert, it is wrong. It is not good. Is the Dalai Lama right when he said that? Here's a survey that was done just in 2019, so just a couple years ago by Barna. It reads that almost half of Christian millennials, so my fellow millennials, right? Half of Christian millennials believe that evangelism is wrong because it is offensive. Are they, are they right? Is evangelism offensive? There are certain states, certain areas of the country that if you were to go to, like Islamic states, maybe a, a state that uh, proclaims the Orthodox Church that would say, no, you, 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 we don't allow missionaries here. We don't allow evangelism here. You can't do that stuff here. In Armenia, it was said at one point that evangelism is a threat to the unity, to national unity for the country. There was a case study done in Russia in the 90s in which evangelism was, was termed as aggressive targeting and winning of converts through improper means. That's how they defined evangelism. So some people would say, yeah, evangelism is offensive. Is evangelism offensive? Is it unethical? Is it coercive? Is it intolerant? Is it unethical? Is it, is it offensive? Is it wrong for us to do the work of evangelism? Well, here's how I would propose that we answer that question. First off, there are offensive ways of evangelizing. If you've been a target of one of those ways, I'm sorry, right? If you've been a target of that, I'm sorry. There are offensive ways of evangelism, right? If you're a waiter and someone leaves a $20 tip and you pick it up and find out that's not a real $20 bill, it's like a gospel thing, that can be offensive, right? Hey, hold on. You left a quarter and left me this little fake 20. That, that, you know, there are offensive ways. If you go to New York City and jump on the subway and the doors close and you're locked in and somebody stands up and starts going at it, that for some might, maybe not everybody, but some would think that that is offensive. There are offensive ways of evangelizing. If someone were to, you know, bring this up with you over and over, somebody at work or whatever, over and over bring this up and you told them, look, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I'm, I'm not interested. I, I really, I, I'm just not interested. And they keep doing that. They keep bombarding you with this thing. That, that could be offensive. There are offensive ways of evangelizing. Furthermore, I would say the message of the gospel can be offensive, right? I mean, the gospel, the, part of the, the message of the gospel is that I'm a sinner and that I'm in desperate need of a Savior and that my sin is crippling me and uh, sending me to eternal damnation. I mean, this is, this is not like fluffy, warm news. I, that's not, the, the message of the gospel can be offensive. And there are offensive ways of presenting the gospel. I mean, if my doctor were to tell me, Nick, your smoking habit's going to kill you. Hey, man. That's offensive, right? So, so sometimes somebody can tell me something and, it, and then the message itself is offensive. But I would argue this, that doing evangelism in and of itself, if you can do it tactfully and respectfully and with good etiquette, the actual act of evangelizing, of sharing your faith, is not offensive. The message of the gospel can be offensive. The way that we do it can be offensive. But the actual act of evangelism is not necessarily offensive if you can do it graciously and respectfully and tactfully. Okay. Now here's two things in this text. We're going to jump back into the text here and look at Philip. And there's two questions. There's two things that come up that bring to mind. First off, Philip is using this method in which he performs miracles for people. At least read it. He's doing miracles for people for the purpose of presenting the gospel to them. Is that manipulative? I don't know. We're going to look at that. Here's the second thing that comes up in this text. Second, uh, Philip meets someone named Simon who is, as far as we can tell, happily engaged in a different religion. He believes in some other belief system. And Philip actively tries to convert him to Christianity, and he does convert him. Was that intolerant? Is that wrong? Is that coercive? I don't know. We're going to look at that today. So let's look at the first text here. Look at verse 5. Acts 8, verses 5 through 7. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, 
They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Is Philip being manipulative by using miracles as a means to present the gospel? Now, first off, before we go further, some of you may have gotten stuck on the miracle thing. Like, whoa, miracles? Really? This is 2022. I mean, are we really talking about this? I won't spend much time here. Pastor George actually addressed this last week. But let me just say this. Uh, we, we, we Westerners live in this culture in which if I can't prove it by scientific observation or, it, or medical, if, if I can't prove it with modern medicine or modern science, it must not happen. Supernatural things just don't happen, so therefore this can't be true. If, if, if anything is unexplainable, it just it didn't happen. It was made up. I, I would push back on this radical enlightenment view of the world. And I would love to talk to you about that if you want to talk about it more. Uh, but, but we as Christians believe that these things can happen and that God works in supernatural ways because he's supernatural. So, so I, would, I would push back on that a little bit. But I would love to talk to you more about that uh, at a different time if you'd like to. But secondly, I would argue this. There's nothing wrong with doing something physically good for someone so that you can do something spiritually good for them. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing something physically good for someone so that you can do something spiritually good for them as well. Now, there are manipulative ways that some have evangelized in the past. I don't know, maybe there's some kind of camp and a bunch of kids are invited and nobody really tells the kids what the camp's about, but then you get there and it's like heavy evangelism and it's the key focus and there's, there's different tactics used to, 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 to weigh on the kids in different ways. I, you know, you know, maybe, maybe there are manipulative ways to evangelize, but the very fact that you are doing something good for someone, you're being upfront about it, and you're hoping to do spiritually good things for them too, I, I don't believe that's manipulative. I don't believe that is offensive or wrong to do. Here's a, here's a, there's a book that I would recommend to you if you want to learn more about this called The Ethics of Evangelism by a guy named Thiessen. I can give you his, uh, his information later if you'd like to. But he makes this argument. People in the marketing world do this kind of thing all the time. And if Facebook and Instagram and Amazon can mine my information to sell me stuff, I don't, why can I not talk about my faith, right? If a burger joint can lure me into their establishment with provocative pictures on their coupons... If, if, a, if a cigarette company can lure me to buy their cigarettes with, you know, ads about this rough and tough cowboy, uh, if, I mean, if, if these things are okay, if, if I work at a company that publicly endorses a cultural thing going on, uh, you know, a racial thing or Pride Month, and they encourage me to wear certain colors, if, I mean, if this, is, if this is encouraged and promoted by all these other entities, I, I don't see why it would be wrong for me to, to share my faith. As long as I'm tactful, as long as I'm respectful, if nobody wants to talk about it, then I won't. I mean, as long as, I'm, if, as, long as I have good etiquette, I don't think there's anything wrong or manipulative about sharing our faith. There's nothing wrong with doing something spiritually good so that you can do something uh, spiritually good for someone. If you want to go to Florida to help with flood victims in, in, in hopes of sharing the gospel, I think that's fine. If you want to serve in a nonprofit with hopes that you can meet people and have opportunity to share the gospel, I don't think that's manipulative at all. Now here's a second thing that comes up in this text. Is it okay that Philip found somebody who already believes in a different religion and converts him? Was that, was that intolerant? Was that wrong? Let's look at this. Look at verse 9, Acts 8 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people in Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is, is rightly called the power of God, or a God, right? They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So there's a sorcerer in Samaria named Simon. 
Try saying that five times fast, right? It's a sorcerer in Samaria. A sorcerer in Samaria named Simon, all right? He practiced witchcraft or Gnosticism or, 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 or some, some kind of sorcery, it says. And here, here's what Philip does. He goes and converts him to Christianity. Is that intolerant? And my answer would be no. I do not believe that's wrong. And here, here's a couple of thoughts I want to leave with you. First off, persuading other people of what is most important to us is a right that we have as human beings. This is what we do. We, we, we argue, not, not fight argue, but, but we make our case and, and we persuade others. And, and if something is important to me, if, if something is a part of my story, I, I want to tell you. And if something's important to you, I want you to tell me. I don't want to be an island. I don't want to be separated from people. This is what we do. We write and we tell stories and we write songs. And I mean, this is, this is just what we do as humans. And if something is deeply important to you, it is perfectly okay for you to talk about it as long as you don't tick people off, right? If you can be respectful with people. It is your right as a human to share what is most important on your heart. This is part of what it means to be human. Secondly, speaking your beliefs is not intolerant. What is intolerant is is silencing someone's beliefs. I do not believe it's intolerant for us to share the gospel and to talk about what is most important to us, if that is the, the, the key driver of our life. I think this is something we can talk about and share stories with people. It is not unethical to share our beliefs and persuade others to convert. Evangelism is not optional. I would argue that Christians have a moral obligation to evangelize and to share our faith. So in review, is it necessary to evangelize? I would say absolutely. Is it offensive to evangelize? I would say there are offensive ways to evangelize. The message of the gospel itself can be offensive at times. However, the the very act, as long as you're respectful and tactful, is not offensive to evangelize. So here's the third question. How can I evangelize? Again, this is not a how-to sermon, it's a should-do sermon, but hey, here's just a couple tips that I want to leave you with. Here's, here's the first tip that I'll leave you with. You will never be ready, so, so just do it. Because I hear that a lot. You know, Nick, I just, I don't know what I'm going to say. If somebody asks me a question, I'm not going to have a response. I just, I don't know how to start the conversation or open up. I just don't know. And, and, and I would argue, you will never be ready to do this. In fact, it reminds me of when I, before I first got engaged. Before I got engaged to my wife, Anna, I thought, man, I'm not ready to get married. I'm too young. I don't have any money. I don't know where we're going to live. And you know what? When we got married, I was too young. I didn't have any money. I literally, we pulled away from the church building, and I didn't know where we were going to live. All right? so, so literally, that was a, that was a problem, but we, you can, you, we can deal with that later. I, I, true. 13 years, though. 13 years, baby. Speaking of babies, but when, when I found out we were first having a baby, I was petrified. This guy's that I was scared to death, right? Uh, I don't know where we're going to put the baby. I don't have enough money. I don't know how to raise a baby. And you know what? When we had our baby, I didn't have enough money. We lived in a one-room, a one-bedroom apartment. I didn't know where to put the baby. Uh, we, we certainly don't, didn't have enough money. It was very true, but you know what? Our first kid's nine years old. Our second kid's eight years old. We rock this, right? <laughs> Parenting? Psh, we, we got this down. Actually, I would argue that we still don't know what we're doing. All right? Those of you who are parents, yeah, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. In fact, one of my kids, I, th- I forgot which one. I think it was my daughter in second grade. She comes up to me the other day with, with an English question. And I'm like, all right, I'm a full-grown man. I think I can handle, like, second grade English, right? I mean, like, I went to college. I'm pretty sure I can... And so she asked me, she's like, so dad, how come sometimes the G makes a gus sound like golf ghost? Sometimes it makes a just sound like at the end of judge. And sometimes it just makes a f sound like cough or tough. How, how come? I'm like, man, I don't know. Go ask your teacher. 
Ain't nobody got time for this, right? I don't, I don't know. And you know what? If you're, if you're evangelizing and they ask a question you don't know, I don't know. Go ask your teacher. I ain't got time for this, right? Just, it's, it's fine. You're never going to be ready for every question. Just, just go share your faith. When you became a Christian, you were there when it happened. Just talk about that, right? You, just do it. You're never going to be ready, all right? Tip number two, be chill. Just chill out, all right? Tip number two is be chill. In fact, I see Justin over here. Uh, he, he and I have, have uh, <clears throat> some, some new friends that we met just a couple weeks ago. And uh, we met up four days ago, Wednesday night. We met up at Trokes with, uh, with, with some new friends of ours. Uh, some, some of them are not Christian at all. And we actually ended up talking about this for about 45 minutes. And it just, hey, what do you, have you ever been evangelized too? What, what do you think about this? Is this like offensive when people evangelize? And here we're, we're just sharing a pint talking about this. And here's, here's some of the things they said. First off, uh, one person said, look, if, if you can accept that I may not buy into this, if you can accept that we're going to talk about this and I may not convert, if you can accept that, sure, we can, we can talk about it. In fact, they, they were fine talking about faith with, with me. I mean, they, they, sure, you can talk about this as long as you can accept that I may not convert. Uh, if, if you already know me, if you're an acquaintance of mine and this is really important to you, we can, yeah, I'm happy to, if you ask my permission, we're happy to talk about this. And then one guy, uh, he, was, he was off to the left there. He said, he said look, just, just be chill. If Christians can just be chill, then we, we, thanks, Mary. We, we can talk about this. If you can just be chill about it. So listen, you're never going to be ready. And just be chill. You can, you can share your, you can talk about faith. You can talk about the most important thing in your life with people. That's okay to do. All right. Here's the third tip I'll leave you with. Look at Acts chapter 8, verses 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip. So here an angel speaks to him and directs him. Once again, in verse 29, <clears throat> The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. The, the Spirit spoke to him. An angel at one point speaks to him. And, and listen, I, I wish we had more details. Like, oh, did he hear a voice? Was it a dream? Did somebody poke him? Like, I don't know. I mean, how did, how did he hear? And, and, and the answer is we, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, many of you would agree with me that I've, I've felt as though God has spoken to me and directed me and sent me and, and given me a calling and, 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 and directed me in some way many times. I've never heard a voice I felt deep conviction at times. My heart rate went up, my hands are shaking, and a doctor would say I'm having a panic attack. But no, God was telling me something, right? And I've, I've, I've felt this prompting. I've, I've felt called and, and, and directed and sent, and oh, I've got to talk to that person. Like, I've, I've felt these things before. And if you're open to it, Philip didn't have like a secret sauce he was eating his burritos with, right? He, no, this is available for, the Spirit wants to direct you. And you can listen to the Holy Spirit. You can, you can be open to him directing you and calling you. Um, by way of example, uh, when, when I first arrived here in, in, in Pennsylvania, I, I went up to Cocoa Beanery. How many of you have been to Cocoa Beanery? Well, Research Avenue, I guess there's two of them. Uh, so, so, I went, so I went up there to Cocoa Beanery. I got my coffee, I had a book, and um, I just felt like the Spirit wanted me to try to talk to somebody, right? So, so I get my coffee, and, and I'm looking around for a seat. It was pretty crowded. This was before COVID, obviously, about four or five years ago. And I, I see an open seat across from a woman who's, who's reading a book. And so I go sit to her, and I open my book. And, and I'm only half reading my book because I'm kind of waiting for her to, you know how you just pause reading and you do this number. I was waiting for her to, so some kind of opening, hey, what are you reading there? What are you thinking about? I was hoping for that. She beat me to it, right? And she starts talking. And it's, it's Valerie Althouse. How many of you have, has anybody met Valerie Althaus? Okay, so she's a missionary that we support. So she doesn't live here. She lives in, or I, I, I forget if she still lives in New York City or not. I can't remember. But at the time, she was in New York City doing ministry as a missionary. And she beat me to it, right? And there's this moment where I'm like, I was hoping to share the gospel with you. It's like, I was hoping to share the gospel with you. <laughs> so, you know, so listen, 
If you have this burning in your heart to share the message of Jesus, if this, if this is something that is just gripping your heart and you just, you just want to tell people about it, you are not abnormal. This is not abnormal for you to have this burning in your heart to share the gospel. I would argue this, though. If you don't, if you, if you don't have this yearn to share the gospel, that, that is abnormal. If you're a Christian and, and, you don't, and you don't really have an interest in sharing the good news of Jesus, that, that is, that's a heart problem. And I will pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you of that heart problem and that you repent of that and that you get busy at the work of sharing the gospel because evangelism is not optional. Christians have a moral obligation to evangelize. Let me pray with you before we close our service. Father, I just want to thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for sending your son Jesus to, to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sins. I want to thank you for calling us and inviting us into your mission and allowing us as, as flawed people, someone like me, to be a part of sharing this gospel. I pray that you would give us uh, success as we try to share our faith and just have spiritual conversations as we try to share the most important thing in our life. Would you give us success in that? Would you give us courage and boldness to be able to do the work of evangelism? and talk about the amazing good news of Jesus Christ. We pray this to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, as we finish, I want to welcome up everybody who's a part of our prayer team. We have a few members that are part of a prayer team, so I would want to, you guys can go ahead and come up here so people can see who you are. So Hipschmans, come on up. Everybody else, come on up. Um, if, if you are not a Christian, again, no, no pressure, but if you'd like to talk to somebody about this, the Hipschmans, I would, if I have time, would love to talk to you about this. Because uh, this, is, this is good news. It's changed our life, and we would love to share this news with you. Otherwise, Hershey Free Church, those of you online, those of you in the room, you are not dismissed, but you are sent. You are being sent to share the gospel with those around you. You are being sent to listen to the Holy Spirit and let him direct and, and, and guide you into who to talk to and where to go. You are being sent to be an evangelist. You are not dismissed. You are sent. Thank you.